Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Snake Oil Radio on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Jim Ventura. Hope everyone is uh, doing well today. Uh, we are in uh, recording live here in Arizona, and we're at the peak of summer, so it's incredibly warm here, uh, as it is probably in uh, in uh, most places right now, at least in America anyway. Uh, anyway, a little bit about uh, Blog Talk uh, Radio, Snake Oil Radio, uh, and me. Uh, this is my, I am a, I've been writing a monthly blog column for about four years now called Snake Oil. Uh, I am, uh, I've actually got quite a few uh, so far, and in the last couple of months I started doing uh, the radio show. So what we're doing here is we're we're taking the column that I write each month and kind of elaborating a bit on it and going into some more uh, detail about the subject matter. I am uh, an intuitive counselor, spiritual counselor, uh, life coach, and my specialty is oracles. Uh, that includes astrology, numerology, tarot, uh, rune stones, and a number of other uh, oracles that I've studied over the years. It's kind of an interesting combination to combine those together because when used correctly, uh, astrology, numerology, tarot, these various tools are really powerful tools at helping a person look uh, inside themselves and even just to even understanding who you are and having a stronger awareness of your your place in the universe really creates an excellent uh, way of being in this world in that sense that gives uh, a little bit of a leg up. I think, in comparison to um, to uh, not having uh, these things available to us. So I have been doing a number of different, um, I did a public access talk show a few years ago, and I've done a number of different radio shows, and uh, now we're doing blog talk radio. And in a little while, I'm going to give a uh, call-in number if anybody wants to, uh, is listening live and actually wants to call in. A lot of you will end up catching this on the archive but if you are live and you want to uh, talk about anything uh, relating to the uh, column for the month or just ask me questions in general or comments, uh, feel free to share them. Uh, you can either call in on the uh, directly on the call-in line or you could, if you're on Blog Talk Radio, you can also go into the chat room and ask questions that way since that's up and running at the same time. So without further ado, I think we will... Uh, get to this month's column. And so this month's snake oil is titled, A Little Paul in All of Us. We have a monster living among us in my condominium complex. Well, maybe the word monster is a bit of an excessive, dramatic title for a human being. But in some ways, he does earn this tag. A few weeks ago, I looked out the window while cooking my breakfast on a Sunday morning. I observed Paul using the back part of a large pool skimmer in a way it wasn't meant to be used. He was shoving the skimmer as high as he could reach into the palm tree that sits in front of his condominium home. Clearly, his goal was to knock a bird's nest out of the tree. He told me a few weeks before that he was sick of the bird droppings on his sidewalk and the sound of that loud chirping in the morning. A few weeks before this, he told me that he had called the police late in the afternoon because the six to nine-year-old children who live in the apartment complex next door were playing, laughing, and screaming too loudly. Apparently, he was trying to take a nap. 
In addition, if all, if all of these things weren't hateful enough, he also used some distasteful yet colorful words to describe the nationality of the kids. Paul is only in his early 30s, but he often acts like a cliche, crazy, grumpy, bigoted old man. I made an effort a few months back to to befriend him. I wanted to focus on the good that must be inside of him. I optimistically thought I could help bring out some of the good features. However, every time I talk with him, the experience is excruciating. Typical conversations inevitably lead toward how pissed off Paul was at my asshole brother, who he hasn't spoken to in two years, my idiot friend, who wasn't returning his calls, my stupid employer, who was trying to screw me over again, how we should call the homeowners association to get the landscapers fired, Well, Paul is quite the cynic. While he does show occasional insight by clearly seeing contradiction, he often focuses way too heavily on denigrating everything. I was recently told by another neighbor that Paul asked the hardworking 25-year-old landscaper who comes here every two weeks if he was hiring any new employees. The landscaper told him that he barely had enough work for himself and wasn't hiring. Paul told him that he was a member of the properties board and needed a key for the sprinkler box. Understandably, the landscaper gave it to him. Paul secretly snuck out every few nights and sabotaged the sprinklers by turning them off. The plants in the lawn began to die. It took weeks before anyone figured out what was going on. It's probable that Paul's goal was to get the landscaper fired so that he might be offered the job. Currently, Paul is being paid by our board to maintenance the pool. He constantly complains about every aspect of this job. His most recent antic has been to put a large lock and chain around the pool entrance, blocking anyone from going into the pool. Along with the chain, he posted a sign that said, Pool closed. Water levels too low. After a week or two, the pool turned green and filled with leaves. To give more emphasis to his performance, he contacted the state health department to report the green pool so that we would get fined. I've worked hard not to be a judgmental person. It's a characteristic that is something I usually recognize as arrogance. And not something I want to be part of me. Still, when people like Paul are in my face, it's quite the test to not only want to judge, but to restrain myself from strangling him. I think that every neighborhood has their own version of Paul. Whether you live in an apartment complex, trailer park, condominium home, or a house, there always seems to be at least one miserable case. You have to wonder, who volunteers to be this type of person? Is there a union for these types of people? Do they plan to spend a lifetime being completely nasty before birth? Or do the conditions of life just turn them into toxic people? Do they even know that they are reprehensible? Either way, they have to be dealt with when they are around us. The toughest part for me is knowing that Paul mirrors some elements that are inside of me. From a metaphysical perspective, the people in our lives bother us most when they are mirroring buried attributes inside of us in an exaggerated way. 
While it might be uncomfortable to own this reality, it's good work to examine these parts of ourselves. Because we see someone evil doesn't mean we are evil. It usually means that we are in denial of abilities that will allow us to handle our own similar situations around the so-called evil in a better, more productive way. I thought about a few of the times when I believed I was being mistreated. In turn, I behaved in an obnoxious way. One of the worst things that came to mind was something that happened to me when I was 19. It tainted a very close friend's reputation. I did this for a number of reasons that made sense to me. I never apologized or resolved my vicious actions. The attack actually came from an unrequited crush on my straight body. I was angry and resentful when he didn't feel the same way I did. In addition, I remembered other things I did in my early 20s that were poor decisions. At the times, I rationalized why this behavior was okay. I used the same logic Paul now uses, that it's okay to retaliate when we believe someone is mistreating us. I actually felt better about myself after I looked at my past mistakes. All things considered, I have been a pretty good person the majority of my life. And with age and wisdom, I've become even more honorable. The only thing in my life right now that makes me feel a little Paul-like is my resentment over my credit card debt. I often complain about how manipulative the banks are. I'm definitely not in a good place around this subject. As obnoxious as Paul's behavior has been, he inadvertently served a valuable purpose for me. I decided to take the opposite approach to handling the situation with my debts. I shifted my perceptions around the subject and released my anger and obsessive focus on the problem. Not surprisingly, solutions to my credit card issue immediately began to show up and things have really improved. It is now clearer than ever that when people hold resentment, anger, and frustration in any area, we often block resolution from coming to us. Let's face it, very few of us can say we have never done any bad things in our entire lives. We all have times when we say or do things we later regret. We say vile things to our mate or children. We justify rude comments or behaviors because we aren't feeling well or they had it coming. We lie or distort the truth. We slander our coworkers or boss because we feel we have a right to. We hold grudges and fail to forgive. We do things we know are the right action, but we justify it because of what is being done to us. The simple truth is, there's a little Paul in all of us. Paul recently lost his job cleaning our pool. The Homeowners Association hired a new pool service that is doing a good job. Paul seems to be hiding out and no one sees much of him. His antagonistic theatrics seem to be on hiatus. I remember reading a book when I was 12 called A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline L. Engel. It was a fascinating children's book about time travel and one of my first connections to metaphysical ideas. Like in many archetypal stories about good overcoming evil, the characters find a way to beat the monster. In this case, a giant brain that controls everyone around it with fear. By turning their minds away from the giant brain and ignoring its dark powers, they're able to escape, escape its control. There's a clear reason why this theme is so prevalent in children's stories and movies with thousands of similar variations. There's real truth in the power to turn away from darkness. Lately, 
no one seems to be paying attention to our monster. It seems he is losing his dark power and growing smaller. Last I heard, he's thinking of moving away. Okay, so that is my uh, monthly column, Snake Oil. And uh, I, have to, I have to talk a little bit more about this because uh, every once in a while, some of the columns I write, of course, I think uh, bother some of my audience on occasion. Uh, it's always interesting to see uh, that I've got about a little over 600 people who received my, my blog column at this point. And uh, I can definitely say most of them really enjoy the messages and the things that I talk about, but every once in a while, again, I think I, I, I trigger a subject that um, might be a little offensive to people or bothersome at some level. And uh, I had uh, two people this month that asked to be removed from receiving my column uh, after this particular uh, snake oil, and uh, I can only theorize why that might be the case. Uh, before I talk about that, um, in case there is anyone listening live and they want to call in and comment on the subject matter, ask me any questions today, uh, the guest call-in number is 646-200-3966. Uh, again, the number is 646-200-3966. And if you decide to call, uh, just kind of be patient. And I'll, uh, once I see that you're on there, I'll, 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 I'll pick you up and we'll, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, if you have anything to say, comments, questions, all, any good stuff, uh, feel free to call in if you're listening to this on live. So back to um, the uh, people that have to be removed. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because, you know, over the years of, of having added people to my column list, um, I certainly have, have worked directly with, with some of the people that are on my mailing list, but of course a lot of people have been added through classes or for, through friends. So I don't really know them personally in that sense. Not everyone on my mailing list, uh, you know, 600 people and growing uh, realistically. I, I'm not going to be able to know too much detail about every person. But the two people that has to be removed, uh, both of them uh, I know from having done some personal work with them. And there's no question that they're good people. Uh, but I think they both were struggling with elements of uh, discomfort about things in their life that they had done uh, that they weren't uh, comfortable with, and uh, both had uh, some issues and themes with with uh, martyrdom, which is a tendency to feel victimized. Uh, one of the the difficulties of of having martyrdom as an as an issue or theme or part of a personality uh, makeup is martyrdom is one of seven types of fears that human beings have. Uh, the seven fears that make up uh, components in, in human beings in, in varying degrees are impatience, uh, which is a fear of being victimized by time, martyrdom, which is a, be a fear of being victimized, period, uh, self-deprecation, uh, which is a fear of inadequacy, arrogance, uh, which is a fear of intimacy, uh, greed, which is a fear of lack, uh, self-destruction, which is a fear of lack of control, and stubbornness, which is a fear of change. These actually are the, the seven primary uh, influences that affect human beings in, in making bad decisions in the first place. Uh, I often talk with clients about this when I work with them in working to uh, eliminate or at the very least minimize the amount of anxiety or fear that they might be carrying so that, that you can be a more self-actualized human being. Um, 
Anyway, martyrdom is the thing that I find that is one of the culprits of, of some of the stuff that we've been talking about with the column uh, at this point. Uh, Paul's behavior uh, is that, based on this idea that he has been victimized, and there's no question in his accuracy. If you talk to him, really, you know, he's got quote-unquote screwed over a number of times by different people. Uh, but most of us have at, at different points in our lives. I, I think all of us have our horror stories of things that were done to us that are pretty amazing. Um, I have I have a share of a few of them on my own. In fact, anyone who's read my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, uh, knows that I talked quite a bit in length about some of these elements that I have uh, personally experienced. But the problem with martyrdom, though, that can lead us into trouble is the tendency when we feel victimized to carry anger around with us, which, of course, is the thing that creates dis-ease and illness in the body. Um, and also that, that sense of the right to retaliate, uh, the right to strike back in that sense. And, and Paul really illustrates this in a pretty profound way. Uh, because he, again, has been hurt. So you see some of these devi devious um, performances that come out of him in terms of retaliation. Uh, for someone afflicted with martyrdom in that sense, it's sort of a, in a, a fear way of trying to get personal power back. We do things that we can rationalize in that sense. Even though we know intuitively or instinctively that they're wrong, we override that part of us and do things that are... Uh, negative and and obnoxious uh, because again we we feel like we have been hurt and I can't stress this enough that this isn't an issue about um, when you're looking at, at, at breaking these type of patterns and as a human being if you're even interested in breaking these type of patterns and not um, being caught in the victim mentality um, it's more uh, the recognition that more often than not the things that are done to us aren't really necessarily things that people had gone out of their way to do in a negative way in the first place. In other words, when we're mistreated, we're not, it's not necessarily that the person has gone out of their way to do that. For instance, if you had very, very difficult parents um, who were maybe not necessarily good parents in the traditional sense of the word, those words, uh, generally the parents weren't getting up every morning thinking about how to be crappy parents. Uh, in other words, they may have learned um, some bad things from their own parents and not have been wise enough to change them. Or they may have, more often than not, they thought that what they were doing to you was somehow good. Uh, I found this to be the case even with parents that uh, hit their children as a way of, of keeping them in line. Often there's a belief that uh, it's good for the kids uh, to hit them, to keep them in line. Uh, this is a very, very common belief that, that people carry. And, you know, in reality, nothing can be further from the truth. When you hit someone, especially children, you're teaching them that uh, the world is a violent place, and if the, if the parent that loves them is hitting them, they grow up with the belief that the world is a violent, uh, dangerous place in that sense. Uh, not a really good thing to teach a child in that sense. And, you know, I, and I, I really actually talk about this from experience because my parents uh, come from a family of seven kids, and we were not hit. And truth be told, you know, they raised seven uh, really, for the most part, good kids, uh, and we never were hit. It's not really something that was part of our structure as children. Now, uh, mom had the uh, Catholic guilt um, uh, power card that she used, which uh, was interesting in its own right, but again, we weren't really, really hit. 
so we don't really have that sense of, of being violent in the world in that way toward others. It, it's incomprehensible for me to hit someone that I love. Absolutely incomprehensible. I, I just don't even understand the idea behind this in that sense. It would never occur to me. So now getting back to uh, Paul uh, and how the way that he is in that sense, uh, I've run across a lot of these types of people throughout my life, and really a lot. Uh, I, I've talked about this a bit in my column, and especially in my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, I go into a lot more detail about this, but uh, I have run across some wounded boys in my day and in my time, a few wounded women along the way, but I guess my focus had been more on males because I'm gay, so that's where the physical attraction element uh, would sometimes lead me into circumstances uh, that would uh, result in, in having these experiences with, with men in that sense. Uh, in this case, uh, this even started pretty young for me, that wounded lost boy syndrome uh, started uh, even at a young age uh, for me because I did have a number of, of wounded friends in that sense that I really wanted to heal. Uh, really, really a strong component inside of me that wanted to help them, that wanted to heal them, that wanted to guide them in that sense. But we run across a very interesting thing that happens in our life when we try to heal or fix somebody. The intention, of course, is a good one. Uh, when someone's wounded and we want to heal them, we want to help them, we want to guide them, um, I, I think that does come certainly from a place of love. But by the same token, the problem is when someone's severely wounded, uh, we run into a little bit of a catch-22 in that sense because often, uh, and I've explained this to a number of clients and people, uh, you can even see this in numerology and astrology, these components showing up in a person's uh, uh, life path or personality characteristics or experiences that they're going to go through in their life. Often when you fix a wounded bird, so to speak, it either flies away from you or more likely sort of pecks your eye out. Uh, a lot of times resentment can come, at, come from the, the wounded person who is quote-unquote fixed or healed uh, by the healer because in essence they, they often will grow to resent you somehow for uh, being the one who fixed them. It's a strange duality that happens. Uh, and, and understandable at a psychological level in that sense, uh, the other problem with this type of thing, of course, is in truth, to a large extent, you really can't fix another human being anyway. You may attempt to guide and help them, but uh, if a person is to make any changes in their life, they have to make that decision themselves and take action accordingly. Uh, there is very definitely uh, people that heal from abuse. Uh, especially, again, if they're willing to take the bull by the horns and do the work that's necessary to heal themselves. But I find the majority of people do not, sadly, in that sense, and, and this martyrdom element often contributes to this type of dynamic that goes on in human beings because they can't let go of the past abuse. In fact, it's the one thing that I think that has always been um, something I've never been able to figure out completely, why some people will take tremendously difficult childhoods, past experiences, and turn it around and become very, very good people, very, very helpful people, um, positive, active members of society, and why someone with the same difficulties might turn into a criminal or just a cruel, mean, angry human being who strikes out at others. I don't know what the actual mechanism is that makes one person go from one angle to another. 
in that sense, but it is kind of fascinating uh, when you think about it because I, I know uh, some years ago I was uh, dating someone who had a really, really wonderful friend. Uh, she was just a large, heavy, uh, big, big woman physically and bigger than life. She was originally from Boston and had that kind of amusing East Coast Boston accent. And, you know, she could tell you absolute horror stories about uh, being molested by her own brother, by uh, abusive elements within the structure of her family from her father. Um, uh, her first husband was actually like more or less a gangster, and at times he actually uh, tied her up and kept her downstairs if she was trying to get away in the basement. I mean, crazy stories of absolute mind-boggling abuse in that sense. Yet this woman was had three children of her own, and was a wonderful mother who had three loving children uh, and was uh, really a good person. She was a good person. Everyone's children. She was very lovable. She was very caring. She was very wise. Something in her allowed her to, to not hold on to the victimization part and turn use it as a means of becoming a better person from it in that sense. And that was really amazing to me to have been around somebody like that in that sense, because she really was a, a, a wonderful person. In fact, it was really cute because she had three um, boys who, when I met her, were already uh, in their late teens and into their 20s. And you could tell they really, really loved their mother, and they were very protective of their mother. And she told me once that she, every time she would put them to bed as children, she would secretly tell each and every one of them that they were, the, uh, they were her favorite and the one that she loved most. But she kind of did this to all of them. And they all had a really, really strong sense of self-esteem over it, feeling that they were the best one, until they eventually figured out that she was doing it to each and every one of them, which really wasn't the crash that you might have think it would have been. I think it really uh, reinforced the way that she loved them all in that sense, and uh, she was very affectionate. She would kiss them and, and tell them that she loved them even as adults, and, and even when they were cringing, she'd still do that type of thing. And again, a really uh, amazing person to me to run across who turned her victimization into something positive. Uh, in fact, she sort of had that motherly disposition that um, that uh, to everyone's children and the people around her, which also at the same time she was also uh, in, her, in her early 40s and she was just a big, heavy woman. And she really was a man magnet. She would have younger, hot men that would just hover around her. And it was a great example of the fact that personality characteristics often are more important even than your physicality in terms of your attractiveness. If you're a happy, fulfilled, bigger-than-life person, hey, man, that, that pulls people in in that sense and, and obviously uh, makes them attracted to you for, for, for good reason. Now, you know, back to uh, talking a little bit about, I think, why people become this way. Certainly a study for me because I have... Uh, Again, I had run across quite a few people during my life, uh, again, what I call the wounded boy syndrome, which really was something that affected a lot of my dating in my 20s and into my 30s. Thankfully, in my 40s, I have really been able to heal um, that component, and I actually don't find wounded, angry, resentful, bitter men attractive anymore. Uh, only took me uh, <laughs> many, many years to figure this out, and that's on some, some patterns are so... Uh, inevitably uh, part of who we are that uh, they're hard to break in that sense. Uh, but any pattern to me is breakable. 
Uh, that's you know, uh, on a side note, that's one of the things that's actually really fascinating at looking at something like astrology. Your astrology chart will show you your inclinations, your dispositions, the way you tend to do things. It'll even show you the areas of life that you tend to uh, operate with most strongly. For instance, houses of astrology uh, designate uh, the areas of life, whether it's money and finances, relationships, family, career, friendships, where you tend to put more energy, so to speak. Uh, astrology will show us that. But what a lot of people are confused about when looking at something like astrology is the idea that what's in your chart is permanent in the fact that you cannot change it. In actuality, astrology is another further reminder about the, the human reality of choice. Um, we have uh, dispositions and inclinations in a certain way, but we still make choices and decisions. And uh, one of my favorite um, uh, quotes is from author Dick Sussman, who said that wisdom erases karma. And that's a brilliant quote and quite accurate because when we're aware of something or understand a disposition, we can either embrace it and love it and allow it to become a good part of us, or if it's a difficult part, we can grow and evolve in a way that we can let go of uh, the difficult element and see the good or the more positive element within that particular structure. And that is the case in all areas. There's always some element of good within the structure. It's just that we may not necessarily see it. And our astrology charts will often show us that. In fact, I was recently at a party, and I was talking to someone, and when I mentioned astrology, she looked at me and, and laughed and said, oh, didn't you hear about that study uh, that they did where they gave 30 people in a room the same exact astrology chart but told them it was their unique astrology chart? And everyone in the room said that it was incredibly accurate and really, really was, was exactly uh, portrayed who they were. And then the secret was that the charts were all actually the charts of Adolf Hitler. So she, she said that to me in a way that was, was really, really cute because she was sort of like, you know, don't you know astrology is just bunk? You know, for someone, it's really funny for someone like myself who's actually studied this for 20-something years. In the first place, uh, I've literally looked at hundreds if not thousands of charts. Impossible. All charts are different in that sense. And... Uh, if I read a uh, different person's astrology chart, believe me, it would minimally, if not at all, fit in that sense. But what I reminded her of was that often what people don't understand in those type of studies is that the person who is, the people that are setting up the study are already convinced that something is false. And then uh, it's almost like a belief system issue. Uh, and then the people in the uh, the subjects often follow what the beliefs are, uh, almost telepathic or unconsciously, of what the, the person who's, uh, who's uh, doing the, the survey or you know, the experiment in the first place believes. You know, there's a, an excellent show um, on Showtime where there's two major, um, Penn and Teller, two major comedians who do a show um, that, that kind of debunks psychics and, and all kinds of new age things and various other things. And, you know, there's times when you've got to give them credit because they really do expose a lot of, excuse my French, bullshit, which is the title of the show. But I recently saw a little thing about how they um, were debunking acupuncture, um, where they put needles just randomly in a person and had the same results as, as uh, the true acupuncturist. You know, this is a type of thing that's absolutely comical to me because any person who has looked into something like um, Asian medicine and uh, and 
acupuncture understands that it not only works, but it works extremely well. I've used it for years. And uh, more, uh, you know, it's just, it's almost funny how people will try to flush something out in that sense. The same dynamic occurs with astrology. If you actually study astrology uh, for even a few weeks or a few months, there's no question anyone who puts any energy into it will understand the validity of astrology in that sense. It's absolutely uh, unquestionable. So people that are often debunking are useful at some levels because they do catch the BS that does exist in the world, but sometimes they're a little prone toward deciding beforehand that something is crap and then uh, almost rationalizing that or forcing it to come out that way. So uh, that's a little sidetrack along the way here. Uh, Again, if there's anyone who is uh, listening live, the call-in number is 646-200-3966. Feel free to call in and uh, comment or ask questions if you're listening live. Uh, we have about another 10 minutes of the show, so I can certainly uh, talk to a caller or uh, anyone who wants to make comments in the chat room may do as well. Uh, if not, we will kind of continue on on this theme about looking at this idea of a little Paul in all of us. And let me also bring up that one of the best elements to me of studying metaphysics and philosophy, which obviously is the kind of primary of study for me, I have studied a lot of different philosophies, religions, perspectives over a long time. I find that one of the best things I've run across is the idea that we mirror each other in that sense. In other words, the things that bother us most in life are elements or attributes that are being mirrored back to us. For instance, um, often when I hear a very, very hardcore born-again preacher or uh, person of that ilk uh, complaining about the ills of homosexuality as an example and the sinfulness of that nature. You know, truth be told, any uh, self-respecting homo with with half a brain in their head understands the idea that um, the expression, we think the lady doth protest too much, comes from the idea that what gives us the most anguish or um, discomfort is an element, even in a small way, that's within our own psyches. So, for instance, uh, the the most uh, avid, angry uh, preacher that complains about the ills of homosexuality is repressing an attribute or part of themselves. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who is is uncomfortable and angry about the idea of homosexuality is a homosexual, but, you know, the, the simple truth of it is we're all at some deeper level somewhat bisexual in the sense that even if we don't have a particular pull toward a uh, uh, the same sex or an opposite sex situation, depending on your sexual orientation. Uh, the idea is that every human being has a certain amount of this bisexuality to them. So, for instance, like a a young man who uh, doesn't have a very strong father and then has a really really great coach uh, in high school or elementary school who's really wonderful to him, and that's also a male, might develop a little bit of a boy crush to some extent, on that man. And it doesn't necessarily mean he wants to have sex with the person. Uh, That's a misconception that often happens. But there is that crush in that sense that often develops. And later on in life, when they run across a really blatant homosexual, that may make them feel that guilt or discomfort about the way they felt in the past, even briefly, about another male. So this is where the urge to beat up, to put down, to destroy, to put away something that makes us uncomfortable comes from in that sense. Uh, Truth be told, 
when something has no real effect on you or you don't care, you're not going to respond to it uh, with any real type of energy. For instance, if you, uh, if I said to someone who I was talking to, a blonde-haired woman, that I didn't like her purple hair, she would probably laugh and wonder if I was colorblind, but it wouldn't bother her that I, I commented on her ugly purple hair because she didn't have ugly purple hair, so it wouldn't, be rel- it wouldn't even be relative in that sense. To her. It would not be something that she would even have to react to. So the truth of it is we do react to, to an element of parts of ourselves that are, that are often, the thing of it is that the people that are reflecting it back are often reflecting it back in like exaggeration, like almost a carnival mirror front house type of exaggeration. So if you're a little bit of a victim, you might run across someone who is an out-and-out card-carrying member of the victim club in that sense. And that's our higher self or spirit's way of getting us to look at attributes so that we can become neutral about them or to release them in that sense from our own psyche and our own, uh, our own consciousness in that sense. The problem is most people usually don't release them when they come across these things. It becomes a battleground. I want to destroy that person. I want to, get their, I want to knock their reputation down. I want them away from me. I don't want to even deal with this type of thing. So we often miss the point of running across these type of individuals uh, in that sense, that are mirroring elements back to us. And this really is something that I know can bring up discomfort with people. And case in point, when I mentioned that two of uh, my readers asked to be removed from receiving the column, I, I knew enough about their personalities to know that they were struggling with the idea of being told that they might have some of these difficult elements inside of themselves. And they didn't want to think about it, hear it, and they probably got irritated at me over it. So I, I personally don't take that personally. Uh, to me, it's, uh, you know, people are, are, are going to agree with me, they're going to disagree with me, um, and that's not relative to, to my success as a human being and self-actualized individual. So, yeah, people do mirror these attributes back. I think the thing that we do have to get to, though, and, like, and I use this as an example in the case with Paul, is even though I did get something out of it very blatantly that was helpful to me in my own process, Sometimes we do run across people that are just honestly so toxic that we do have to self-protect by getting away from them or allowing the negativity to flow, flow through us without affecting us. Yeah, there are times when someone might still be mirroring an element or an attribute, but by the same token, um, we don't have to dwell on that in that sense. Once the message is delivered, often they will go away. But for our own self-interest and self-protection, it is a good thing to know when to shield yourself from that difficult vibration or energy that's kind of coming through. A lot of times people are often angry with us for reasons that don't even, we would never even be conscious of. For instance, you know, uh, you could run, a, a woman can run across another woman who hates her and she can't figure out why, but it could be that um, she reminds her of her sister, who was a sister was mean to her, or an employer that fired her, or uh, you know, a host of other reasons that have nothing to do with what we might think it's about, why someone is that way with us. But yes, it is healthy to self-protect in the way of understanding about removing yourself from negativity in that sense. Again, once you identify what the message is, then you can remove yourself. Surprisingly, it's actually usually pretty easy to get away from it once the, the, the message is recognized, in that sense, from what your higher self is trying to get to you. So that's why I know for me, with Paul as an example, he really is not a bother to me in the way that he was for the uh, first year that I was around him. 
because I got the message. I understood. I was able to look at it. And it's not that he isn't still here. It's just that, again, like I mentioned in the story, it's almost like he's become smaller and less of an influence once I embraced what his message was in that sense. So these are important things to, be, to become conscious of when we're looking at the mirroring process, that uh, we definitely mirror each other, but by the same token, um, we do not have to subject ourselves to negativity in that sense for very, very long. There's no real uh, purpose in that or value uh, if we stay in a negative situation in that sense. We have to know knowing when to walk away uh, is a, an element of, of wisdom that could come into play, knowing when to retreat or knowing when to pull back in that sense. So um, this is one of the, uh, the dynamics that I was talking about within this column, and I often do bring this up when I work one-on-one -on -one with clients as well when they are struggling with issues. Um, I may have mentioned this in a previous show, but one of the best books I have written, uh, I've not written, excuse me, <laughs> one of the best books I have read uh, in the last few years is uh, by author Colin Tipping, who wrote a book called Radical Forgiveness, which really, really talks about how we form psychological and emotional patterns and then bring them to us repeatedly until we get the message and release them. Very powerful healing book. Very, very brilliant author in this time and this day and age that I highly recommend people check out and read his work because he's quite good. Uh, I'd also, you know, we've got a couple more minutes, and I also want to mention a little bit about my book because also an excellent book, if I do have to uh, say so myself without sounding too arrogant. But uh, Dirty Little Secrets is my first book, and it is available in, in, in print as well as on DVD, uh, audio CD. And if anyone is interested in getting a copy of my book, um, I am going in the process of getting it on Amazon. That will probably be within the next month or two. But um, you can also go to my website and order it directly from me. Uh, the, web is, uh, the website is web.mac.com slash Ventura Words. So that is uh, web.mac.com -C slash Ventura, like my last name, V-E-N-T-U-R-A, no space, words, W-O-R-D-S. And if you go to my website, you could check out um, the option of, of having a private session with me, even if you're out of area. That can be done by phone, but also um, to get a copy of my book. And, you know, I did, uh, I, I did really uh, talk a bit about the, um, this, this subject of, of difficult people quite a bit in Dirty Little Secrets. And Dirty Little Secrets is, again, my first book, and it's a collection of 34 essays that I have written over uh, a number of years. I wrote the book primarily in late 2001 and through 2002 into early 2003. And really, it's a, it's a good book because it's a funny book. Um, it's certainly um, very informative, but uh, it's done in a way in short essays, and I introduce a lot of metaphysical ideas, especially for people who are new to it, uh, without kind of overwhelming a person. And it really is a really heart piece about um, the idea of us carrying shame about who we are and expectancy about trying to be, quote-unquote, perfect people in a world that that beliefs we're supposed to be. It's really about owning our own um, dysfunction in a way where we can recognize that it really contributed to who we are and how we've gotten wiser. So certainly if anyone's interested, feel free to uh, order a copy of my book. I have gotten some really 
positive reviews from it in the first place. And again, can also check out my website for personal one-on-one sessions. So uh, very valuable uh, information that way. Uh, the other element that I want to kind of mention or bring up is if anyone wants to receive my column on the first of the month, they can just email me at VenturaSag at Yahoo.com, and I will add you to the snake oil family so you can read the columns uh, at the, on the first of the month before the uh, radio show actually airs, usually uh, a week or so after we air the radio show. And I'm going to continue to do the show uh, on a monthly basis. Uh, I am going to continue to do the show on a monthly basis. But um, I am going to add, every other month I'm going to start adding an interview show where I talk to someone who is in one different element of the metaphysical field or healing arts field and do uh, a live interview show every other month. Uh, You'll be able to, obviously you can check my blog on Blog Talk Radio to find out about upcoming shows. Or if you're added to my mailing list, um, you'll get information on when the shows are up and coming as well as classes and all kinds of good stuff that come out in the uh, newsletter as well. So again, that's Ventura, Sag, S as in Sam, A as in Apple, G as in Guy, at yahoo.com. That is one of my contact points. Or again, you can contact me through the web and again, uh, access uh, information that way. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in, and we will be here again uh, next month. Cheers.